<laughs> I must ask you a question. <laughs> I'll shave it for later. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. This is like the oldest, this is the oldest pun in the book. It, it really was. Like, you, my man could not have got more medieval on our asses if he tried. Welcome to episode 457 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And we got the band back together because, honeys, we are indycar in, And uh, this time we crossed the border in a Toronto. Uh, for the IndyCar Grand Prix of Toronto. Hey, remember this time last year when we were all exploding over an Alex Pelot contract dispute? Wasn't that a fun time we all had together? It was a fun time. Uh, and I expect Alex Pelot to be put on gardening leave any weekend now. Any weekend now. Any weekend now. What do you mean he's still driving the 10 car? What do you mean he finished second with a broken front wing? The only thing he's leaving is his boot prints on everyone's ass. Repeatedly. Massively. Uh, Boots to asses, uh, meat being tenderized, etc., etc. Amazingly. fried chicken. In this case, it's fried chicken, maybe a blended waffle and some maple syrup for good measure. But um, amazingly, amazingly, we were this close to the first four-race winning streak in North American single-seat racing since 2006. Um, but he was beaten by the man without a moustache. Everybody's new favorite Danish friend, Christian Lungard. We have another new IndyCar winner, and uh, my God, um, <laughs> what a dominant performance he had. Um, the front two kind of basically just kind of embarrassed the field on this one for me more than anything else. So we'll talk a little bit about all of that and the ramifications that come with that, because I wanted to get into a little bit about the road to Indy as well in regards to Lingard and maybe a certain other ladder is getting its spot in the queue jumped at the moment. So we'll, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and of course, we'll also talk about uh, RJ potentially getting his old man's because, uh, yeah, uh, apparently IndyCast thinking about moving the season finale to Nashville. Huh? Thinking about it. Thinking uh, about it. End these thoughts immediately. It's not a healthy thought. I do not recommend it. But round the horn with me, of course, as you probably already guessed by now. First up is RJ O'Connor. Good to see you back, man. How are you? Um, going on camping trips is fun. I needed that refresh. I really, really needed the social media detox. What I did not oh, yeah. need is mosquitoes biting at my ankles. Oh, every second, every minute, every hour on the hour. That was not that's, fun. That's that's what you get for coming up to the northeastern United States. <laughs> yeah, I could have I could have just I could have just stayed down south where I could just drive to any one of my favorite sports teams uh, games in like two hours or less. I mean, sure, our rights would be dramatically infringed upon at every given moment. But, but yeah, on currently. the other hand. The, the bugs are about the same. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, only, the only thing you get when you come here is just hellacious winters. Yeah, to be fair, as a guy that was also in a clubhouse tent a couple of weeks ago, the, the bugs are not fun. Trust me. Also, you realize... Oh, fancy bitch. Oh, I was a fancy bitch. Like, you know, it was a tent with Wi-Fi and a water tap and everything. It was proper fancy. <sighs> Jealous. Um, 
no no expense spared for the TV and the PlayStation Five. Um, you know, but you know, it's a struggle, but someone's got to get through it. Um, <laughs> also, there's one thing I did learn from that camping experience: it's that uh, your camp will amplify whatever atmosphere is the atmosphere at that point in time. If it's hot, you're you're cooking. If it's cold, you are freezing. There is oh, yeah. no middle ground here on this. What one. if it's lukewarm? Uh, it is perfectly adequate. Um, and I still could barely sleep. I gambled for it without a coat, and the first night I slept there, it was like nine degrees um, Celsius in the UK, which was fucking freezing for a for a day in July. So let me tell you, it was a struggle. But also joining me, we've also got Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. How's it going? Uh, I'm just kind of in a state of shock, honestly, <laughs> after having watched that race. How? How? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a fair assumption. That is a fair as a as a fair shout. Um, taking that all in is a, a trip and a half. Let me tell you, because there is a lot to dissect from that one. So, like I said, Lungard, a bit of Polo, bit of the road to Indy, and hey, maybe we're ending in Nashville next time. We'll have to wait and see. But in, before we get into that, here's the places you can find us real quick. We are at Motorsport101.com. That is our website. Um, if you're a fan of that, you could check out all of our podcasts are on there as well as some extra written content from yours truly. Um, if you want some bonus thoughts on this race by me, you can check out the blog section on this very race as well as part one of my mid season reviews for formula one so far. Um, it's one of a two part series on that one. I might do IndyCars as well, depending on how busy I am over between now and spa. We'll have to wait and see, but, um, yeah, in, in the meantime, uh, you can check that out if you haven't already. Um, look out for Valtteri Bottas's arse cheeks. Don't say I didn't warn you um, on that one. I'm giving you a heads up via an exclusiveness of listening to the podcast. You're welcome, Internet. You can't say I wasn't fair here. Um, so do check that out if you haven't already. If you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 for early access to the show and supporters club of our Discord server because these episodes live as they are being Recorded if you're that way inclined. If you want to follow us on social media, you can at Twitter, motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow our personal handles, you can follow me at Dre underscore WTF1, RJ and RJ O'Connell, and Cam at CBuckley917. You can also follow us on Instagram um, at uh, motorsport101. Are we pod. on threads yet? Or have we just decided that like we've used threads as enough of a bargaining chip to get Elon to stop doing whatever kind of bullshit he's been up to lately? Well, unfortunately, he hasn't stopped. Well, uh, <laughs> I know I'm on there just at the same handle because, well, I want to sit on that username just in case Twitter ever goes down all the way. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a nice security method. We know we're not on Freds yet officially, but uh, I will consider it if if Twitter goes the way of the dodo. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But if you want to follow me personally at uh, um, on Shorts, you, on Fred, I said Shorts. Damn, I'm thinking of YouTube. <laughs> it's all the it's all the bloody all the, same. <laughs> all, all the social medias are blending into a compost. It's all the fucking same these days. No, but send us um, a blue sky invite, please. Uh, yeah. If you'd like to follow us on Ping for iTunes, don't. <laughs> no, no, you can follow me on Napster instead. Um, it's right alongside <laughs> Friends Reunited, um, if, if you're that way inclined. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you want to follow me personally on Friends, you can at DreWTF1 if you really are that way inclined. It's for all the stuff that I would never be able to post under the day job. Ding! 
So, with that in mind, and without further ado, let's get into IndyCar's Grand Prix of Toronto. Where people are making, I'm guessing they're making smarter financial decisions than the local basketball team. I mean, good for Scotty Barnes because I endorse wage theft wherever people can get it because it's not my money, (laughs) but it is just funny. It is very funny. It was the biggest weekend of his racing career for Rahul Letterman Lanigan Racing's Christian Lungard. After an amazing dry, wet, dry qualified session, he beat Scott McLaughlin to pole position for his second career P1 award and would then go on to dominate the Toronto GP, leading 54 out of the 85 laps and finally stopping Alex Pelot's ridiculous winning streak to win by nearly 12 seconds. More on that later. And as a result, he finally got to collect his bet with best friend Peter and shave his moustache off live on the post-race podium. Gentlemen, just how impressive was Lingard's weekend? I have only four words to kick this off. Alpine Academy, common success. Hey! It's like like all the Alpine Academy have success, just not with Alpine. It's great. Well, yeah, that's the key, is you stay away from Alpine and eventually everything comes good for you. We're yeah, almost we're... approaching the one-year anniversary of the Oscar Piastri tweet, too. Oh, yeah. That is, that is oh, very much almost a thing. We are at the one-year anniversary of every driver transaction needing two-factor verification, but no, Christian Lungard was was fantastic. He felt like a win was coming. Yes, we know Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan has been struggling. Remember, it was just two months ago, Christian Lungard had to escape yet another last-row shootout just to make the Indianapolis 500. They are... Very, very deficient in terms of their old street uh, game, but on road and street courses especially, Lungard has been the table setter. He has been the benchmark. And now with this first win, you got to start wondering, has he already crossed in that elite threshold before he even makes it up to an elite team? The ovals are still a bit sus for me. Um, I know part of that is the team he drives for because Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing has stunk on ovals for a good year and change. Um, But on road and street courses, he's been a top five driver in the series for a good year and a half, in my opinion. His road and street form, even going through last year, was incredible. Um, It was excellent on debut. Remember that one-off in 2021 at the Brickyard Grand Prix and he just snuck in out of nowhere and put it in the facets? Yeah, on yeah. debut, finished twelfth on debut. Like that was incredible. Like the the signs have been there from day one with Lingard in in IndyCar. Oh, that's right. There wasn't a facet. He just qualified fourth, which is still incredible. Oh for yeah, it's actually better. Time. It was actually even better. Yeah, when you put it like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the signs have been there for a while, and, and of course he got a pole earlier this year, and we'll talk about the other protagonist, the eventual protagonist of that race in a little bit, but. Yeah, all I really needed was just the right the right scenario to get to the front. And really, besides a series of unfortunate events, which jumbled up the strategy, pretty much led the race from lights to flag. Oh, pretty yeah. Much. Uh, on merit. Comprehensive victory. And I'm thinking, if you're Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, right? You got to do everything in your power to keep this guy around. because He is the want- only good thing right now. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, 
I think we'd love to see Christian Lungard in an environment where he can regularly succeed at every kind of racetrack. It'd be cool to see him in like a Ganassi, a Penske, or an Andretti or a McLaren type team. But like, if you're Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, you're thinking, wow, we're not letting this go, guy go for cheap because this is a guy we can build around. He's a guy you can build around, and he still has over a year left on his contract. He's technically tied down until the end of 2024. So if anybody wants him, they're going to have to sit down with Bobby and negotiate a buyout. Um, and that could get expensive because, uh, as Cam was rightly said, he is the shining star of this team. Like, Rayo Letterman-Nanigan Racing has struggled for a good year and change again, and Lungard is seventh in the championship. Well, and I mean, look at look on the other side of the uh, look at the other garages at uh, RLL. You have Graham Ray Hall, who on the road courses has had a couple flashes, but he's got been, bumped from the Indy Five Hundred. I was gonna say he's been better post Crew Chief firing. Definitely, he's gone back into the top ten in two of the last three races. Ray Hall, yeah. to his credit, has driven okay since his Crew yeah. Chief got sacked. But then, Jack Harvey. Oh, has been abhorrent in that car. Dude, it's crazy to think. He had one of the best performances just to get in the get in the 500 and bump his teammate out, not knowing, of course, that Stefan Wilson was going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And then and ever since then it's just it's it's been nowhere. I but, mean But before then and through all of last year, it was nowhere. I mean, he caused an enormous lap one crash, which wiped out himself. Wiped out, uh, well, Benjamin Peterson, yeah, both cars. It was both uh, Voits, Favrucci and Benjamin Peterson. Tom Blomquist, who was standing in for Simon Pagano this weekend, get lost in Simon. It gave us the very funny graphic of Graham Rahal knowing exactly how to get the car in reverse and then exactly which escape road to take in order to get around and not get trapped. (laughs) Yeah, Um, ever see. Alex Rossi bent his front wing and, and almost went a lap. Well, was actually a lap down for a good chunk of that race. Actually, got back on the lead lap, but it didn't really matter in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in that wreck, and Ryan Hunter Ray, who was in the middle of that free car sandwich. Um, it, it, it takes some doing to wipe out plus five cars in an Indy car crash. I, I, it, it's the it's the worst we've had since Benjamin Peterson's T-bone at St. Pete at the start of the season where he drove straight into the side of Devlin D. Francesco like his name was Bill Goldberg. Um, you know, yeah, so- and, uh, and Harvey, in this instance, I mean, he just ran the two cars on his outside right into the wall. Um, yeah. Enormous bra moment. Please. Please, no Jack. Like we love we love Jack on this show, but like it's getting harder and harder to justify his continued existence in this series. Um and I've got a bad feeling that if they if they the what's what's worse for me is if they chop him, they're gonna probably put Yuri Vips in that car. I think they should put Linus Lundquist in and I'll get to I that. agree. I I think it is very cool to see Christian Lundgaard after this win setting ahead of Will Power, Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi, all these guys in the standings. There are only six IndyCar drivers that stand atop of Christian Lungard in the driver standings in a setup that is deficient on one third of the courses that we go to. Yeah. And isn't and, exactly great on the other two thirds most of the time. No, exactly. And yeah, he's found the way to make it work because like I said, his 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 road and street course form has been exceptional. Um, like 
the argument is he elite. I'm, I'm not sure I would go that far just yet. He is still missing one third of his game. I want to um, see more. I would like to see a little bit more. But if he keeps going with his road and street course pace like this, he is going like for me, there is no argument left. He is the number one contender for the 10 seat if Alex Polo is leaving. Like that like that that cemented it for me. I, I was debating between him and David Malukas. For me, there's no longer an argument. It's Christian and God and you plug him in immediately if you get the opportunity. Like he is exceptional. And mm-hmm. you forget he's still only twenty two years old. Twenty one. Like he, has, he has he has his his twenty second birthday will be uh later this week as of recording. Yeah. Hey, happy birthday, Christian! Um, I'll have a birthday present to yourself. Yeah, first win, and he doesn't have to look like a porn star anymore from the eighties. Good job, clean, clean shaven face. Mustache. I, I don't think I don't think the mustache looked good on him. I'm, I'm sorry. We no. could we could say that now because it's gone. It did not look good on him. W- winning winning always looks good. Oh yeah, it does. And uh, I hate to be that guy for a minute because there was a lot of people on Twitter that responded to this in, in a very negative fashion. Like I'm sorry, but if you were mocking the fact that his best friend Peter was crying on the broadcast when he crossed the line because he was so happy for his best friend's success, you're a sexist, homophobic loser. Fellas, is it gay to have feelings? Apparently so, according to dude bros on on in on, on we were fat we were following Matt Arletcher on Twitter. Which was doubly disappointing because Matt's one of the bigger IndyCar tweeters out there, and he's clearly cultivated a load of IndyCar fans, and a good chunk of them were just straight up homophobic in the replies. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Do not do this. Like Man. I've said this before on this show. One of the many, many reasons why men have mental health problems in this country especially is because we've had it beaten into our heads for the last 50 years that we have to man up, be tough, hide emotion. It's a sign of weakness. You put that shit away. Don't cry. And you don't Don't, don't cry. show your friends affection. No. I mean, I mean I've solved the problem myself by, by just being ragingly queer everywhere, but I'm not <laughs> most people in motorsports, so... Don't no. take don't take my experience as like you know a representative of everybody in the sport. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I was like, you said you're a raging quid. That automatically means you're exempt from the majority of motorsport because diversity. Where's what's, what's that? Um, so yeah, don't do that. It's it's a horrible thing to do. Um, like we're better than this IndyCar, and I'd like to think that most of the fan base gets down better than this. But that was I saw a significant amount of homophobic and sexist tweets regarding that moment on TV, which is very disappointing, um, quite frankly. But no, please don't do that. Like it's not on. It's 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 far more it's far more fragile and insecure in my opinion than the image you have perceived in your head about crying on a live TV show. That's as far, that's what I would like to say on that. And with arms, and with, and with Lingard's win, another win for a European ladder mover in recent years, with Marcus Armstrong also a career high seventh on the day in the Chip Ganassi car, um, and kind of my lot still in the mix. I wonder, is the road to Indy being overlooked for the Europe ladder's success? This is an interesting one. Uh, this was actually brought up over the course of the weekend by uh, by. I guess friend of the program, Marshall Pruitt. He he, he, he was nice enough. To I, I enjoy a quality Marshall Pruitt post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I do. Basic, yeah. Friend of the friend yeah. of the show. <laughs> friend of the friend of the show. Um, 
it basically boiled down to, you know, a lot of teams in the IndyCar paddock, if they had a choice between picking a driver out of Indy Nest or picking a driver out of Formula 2, they will likely go with the Formula 2 guy. Um, and it's strange because Formula 2 does not race on ovals. Indy Nest really only races on one oval, and that's Gateway Motorsports Park. So it's and uh, in the lower steps of what was the road to Indy, now the USF Pro Series, they don't do a lot of oval racing. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's basically just like, well, if you're going to go with any one driver with uh, with limited oval or super speedway experience, why not take the Formula Two driver? You can you can shape them into being a very good to great oval racer, depending on the package. And you arguably have a more well-rounded road and street course racer. And yeah, that's pretty much was exactly the point of uh, the point that was brought up because he was getting it from people within IndyCar. And, and that's just it is that you, if you're in the road to Indy right now, there's really no, like there, you have no competitive advantage in the driver marketplace because for a while when there was not a lot of ovals, on the uh, the junior ladder for IndyCar, but yeah. certainly enough that you can form into an oval racer. I mean, Carlos Munoz. Yeah. Beastly. Wait, Incredible. Remember, remember when Matt Chilton won a race at Iowa Speedway, lights to flag? Yeah. Uh, and that was a legitimate competitive advantage versus other drivers and other ladders. That's just, frankly, gone now. I mean... If you need to shape someone, to your point, RJ, uh, into an oval racer, you can put them in the sim, yeah, and have them uh, run on there, and and then you know work out the gap between sim and real life, you know, over practice sessions. Yeah. And Gateway is only representative of Gateway. You couldn't. It is not representative of a place like, say, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No, I agree. Um, the, the, I actually did find the tweet, and it was inspired by a uh, spotter by the name of David Hunt, who uh, spotted a gentleman by the name of Felix Sorales when he won at Milwaukee eight years ago in, uh, in Indy Next. He said, I miss racing at an awesome mile oval, but I miss what I miss more about this series, Indy Next, is what the role of the spotter used to be. In my opinion, the lack of oval racing has changed the dynamic. Marshall Pruitt quote tweeted saying, I'm hearing on a more frequent basis from IndyCar team owners and decision makers that the lack of significant oval training and lights slash nest has changed their views on hiring talent from the series. Yeah, it's taken away their X factor in the driver market. And when you look over in F2, you have cars that, at least on paper, are quite a bit closer to IndyCar, at least in terms of you know horsepower output. Um, you have a variety of different tracks over in the European ladder that you can learn different techniques on. And chances are, if you're in the F2 kind of system at the moment, you're probably there unless if you are good enough to wipe the floor with everyone and win a championship in one year, you're probably going to go up into an F1 seat. Maybe not now that most of them have been filled, but for the last four or five years, you Mm -hmm. would plug those people in right away. Yeah, You know what's Um, not helping, mm -hmm. I don't think, is the fact that this current crop of IndyNet's graduates, first of all, it's incomplete because in a just society, Linus Lundquist would have a full-time ride with a competitive team. 100%. He's not. His, uh, his prize funding got slashed, and that's one of the things that I I did not like. Um, so the graduates we have 
are Stingray Rob, who's been completely anonymous, and Benjamin Peterson, who outside of Indy 500 qualifying has been completely anonymous. Marcus Armstrong is going to win Rookie of the Year without doing a full schedule. And if you look at the last few Rookie of the Years, Lungard was an F2 uh, at Sport. McLaughlin came from supercars, so not really in discussion. Renus VK came straight out of Indy Lights. Then you have Ed Jones in 2017. Gabby Chavez, 2015, Carlos Munoz, 2014, Tristan Foche, 2013. But, but you go back, RJ, and you look yeah. at the those Indy Light schedules, and they are more representative of what you see in IndyCar. Yeah, yeah. A couple more ovals sprinkled in there, um, a couple more pure, like, full-blown, full-blooded road courses in there. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, beyond just the fact that the cars are a little bit more similar, you're probably, you've probably got more experience straight up if you're an F2 for a year or two, yeah. because you've just got more time. You're just a more seasoned driver and more seasoned wheel-to-wheel as well, which in IndyCar these days, you need to know what you're doing wheel-to-wheel or you're going to get bounced off the road. This, this is what I was going to say. Like Across the board, you're probably better funded to be an F2 in the first place because F2, you're yeah. looking at at least 3 million euros a year now for a decent seat. Especially now, given what we know about... I mean, Lungard was in, as we know... <laughs> the spare parts ART. Right. Like, he was in... The, 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 it's known on F1 Twitter circles as the curse of the second ART seat. Uh, which, ironically, because in the first one at the time was some guy called Marcus Armstrong. Look at that turned out for him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, the way it is right now, F1... This is, uh, this is just my perspective. F1's in a bottleneck. I think F1's got its best top 16 it's ever had. Like... Look at it right now. Who is the 16th best driver in F1? Maybe someone like Yuki Tsunoda? Yeah. Like, first game that came to mind right now is like Valtteri Bottas. And you could argue, like, when he's on, he's like a top 10 driver. And when he's right. off of it, he's like, someone I mean, like a, yeah. Yeah. The guy who won when he was on it could reasonably often out qualify Lewis Hamilton, you know. Right, casual that, seven-time world champion. That's so, roughly that's, that's yeah. roughly your top sixteen baseline. A Sonoda, maybe a Zhou Yu, somewhere in that sort of ballpark, right? Above, like, like the, the the last seven or eight years of F one's junior scene has been a golden age. Like it's it's the backbone of the sport has been the junior European ladder of the last half decade plus. Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Russell, Gasly, you know, Sonoda. Um, you know, you could go on. There's been like that's the backbone of the next generation of this sport in a post Hamilton, post Alonso sort of environment. There's a bottleneck. I remember writing about this two years ago when Ferrari had Canamilot, Robert Schwartzman, and Mick Schumacher at the same time. Like that's how loaded they were at, 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 at that point. Like and now, Eilat's already in. Schwartzman's had in. IndyCar tests, and he's um, now a rapper. <laughs> yeah, who, who would have known? Yeah, and I mean, realistically, unless someone in that lower handful really fucks up, sorry, Nick DeVries, um, you're not going to slot, you're not going to slot new drivers into those seats for a couple of years. And even then, Red Bull just picked Daniel Ricciardo up off the shelf, dusted him off, and installed him. Right. It's the luxury they have of having the amount of resources that they do. If you're a mid-level Formula 2 driver, like a Yuri Vips, like a Marcus Armstrong was, Cannabinot, probably a little bit better than that. Liam mm. Lawson, probably a little bit better than that. You are now looking at the road, like, like Indy Lights and Indy, and the IndyCar series as a genuine... Indy 
Yeah, like as a genuinely viable alternative because you don't need as much funding as proven by people like Carl Kirkwood who was able to get into the indie car pack with a $1.2 million paycheck. That's peanuts compared to F2 drivers. But even then, with Kyle, it still took a year of him suffering at Foyt. Right. Because even IndyCar, in a perfect scenario where Kyle Kirkwood had the most glittering junior record you could possibly have. It was perfect. And they still didn't trust him to plug him in right away. Right. And because uh, at that time, they had another driver who finished just a little bit below him in the standings, but had a lot more money. And he's probably not helping the reputation of a lot of these drivers who are stepping up into out of Indy Lights and into, out of Indy Nest. It's yeah, strange because, because like... Yeah. It's it's strange because on the other hand you have guys like Colton Herta. Colton Herta did not spend his entire junior formula career racing in America, but he did finish in Indian Lights. How do awards weird? Because like he was a road to Indy driver, and then he wasn't, and then he was again, and then he wasn't, and then he's back into Indy car in a premier seat. And that took the collapse of his team and a series of other events to get him eventually into a scenario where he could shine. And then jump him up into McLaren. So, I, I mean, if anything, it's proving the problems with the road to Indy even more. That Kirkwood had as perfect a record as you could possibly have. And it took a series of convenient events to slot him into Andretti. Pato Award's career, for all intents and purposes, was on life support for two years before yeah. it finally got back on track. Thanks, mm-hmm. Rebel. And, I mean... There's a lot of really appealing drivers in F2 right now. Yeah. There'll be a bunch of dudes in that series right here and right now that will be looking across the pond and thinking this could be a way out because at the moment, I don't think it's a massively A++ tier Formula 2 field at the moment. Frederick Vesti is going to be a bottleneck. He's not going to make it to F1 if he wins the title this year. Ayumu Awasa might, but he's behind Liam Lawson in the queue, who is currently killing it in Japan right now, ironically. Third win of the season, tied of record held by a Schumacher. Yes, but not indeed. the one you're thinking of. No, um, or, hmm. you know that you've got Theo Porsche, who's already got an Alfa Romeo Junior seat potentially lined up if Alfa wants to pull the trigger on a driver change. But even that looks unlikely to me. I don't think there's any good reason to get rid the of the last them. issue right now with Alfa Romeo in Formula One is their driver lineup right. because that car that that car is celery on untoasted white bread. Ooh, uh, you know, so you, you look at the situation, anybody below those three, and you're thinking, why am I here? Felipe Drogovic won the title last year and didn't even get a whiff of an F1 seat. Like, nope. the, the, the nearest he got was a cup of coffee and a Lance Stroll injury replacement test. You're going to look stateside because that's the next best single-seater series. The racing is great. You've seen other people make success out of it. Christian Lungard. You know, Marcus Armstrong, Kalamai a lot. There'll be more coming over soon, most definitely. We didn't um, even talk about, like, Felix Rosenquist, who who finished off overseas. We didn't talk about Robert Wickens was a DTM driver through and through before he went to IndyCar. Right. So this is the way it's going. And I look, in IndyCar, it's a little bit easier because the grids are a lot bigger. And yes, like, I think it's right. I worry for this generation of indie next drivers because they're like I've watched their series. There is genuine talent there, and this is none of this is to take a jab at them being bad. Like Nolan no, Siegel no, that's, is a yeah. that's exactly it. We're not saying they're bad. Right? If anything, yeah. Nolan Siegel is year. the truth. You get that. You get that young man a competitive seat next year, and he will win rookie of the year straight up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Christian, yeah, Christian Robinson, but, Christian Robinson is a good driver. Hunter McElroy is talented. Louis Foster is an ace. He's just been very unlucky all year long. But Louis Foster is fast as hell. You know, yeah, Reese Gold has moved around genuine, and been very good. You have a genuinely great top eight or nine drivers in Indy Next right now, where I could say slot them into a lower tier Indy car yeah. ride. But that's not how the teams are going to think. No. The teams are going to look at what has the most upside for them. Part of that is, unfortunately, at the end of the day, money. Yeah. Um, and if someone can come over and they have just as much upside as a driver, but they bring you money, you're going to go with the guy with money. What's the biggest dispute keeping Marcus Erickson from signing a new deal in the eight car right now? Fresh chip. Uh, yes, more more of that husky chocolate money because Chip want, Chip is a cheapskate and wants Marcus to keep paying for his seat even though he has been one of the best drivers in IndyCar for the last two years now. Yeah, yeah. He, he, his face is on the board, Warner. But yeah. Crazy. Could, was unlucky not to get it twice. Dre, yeah. before we wrap this up, uh, mm. Dre, if put yourself in the shoes of Mark Miles or who is ever running IndyNets right now, or just like whoever's running USF Pro, what do you mm. do to fix this problem? You need to... Well, okay, you need to talk to your IndyCar team owners and say, what are you looking for in your talent, first and foremost? And you, and you mold, I think, I think you mold your answers off of that. If it is true what Marshall Pruitt is saying, then I've got no reason to disbelieve him. Yeah. You need to be adding two or three more ovals to the IndyCar calendar instead of all the road tracks. Yeah, you, and you, why, uh, there is no reason why they couldn't bring back the Freedom 100. You need that to raise up the speedway. The same. speedway, the speedway is all we know this about IndyCar. It's right. been proven for the last three decades. The speedway is all right. Like you and, bring bring back the Freedom Run Hundred. Yeah. Go back to having three or four ovals on the calendar in a similar ratio to what the main series is because right now IndyCar has five oval rounds a year out of seventeen races. There's yeah. no reason why Indy Next can't do four out of sixteen or whatever the ratio yeah. is. Like, yeah. like oh, we have Iowa this year, so that's yeah, two. But but there could be more. Oh, and, and, and I think one hundred percent, Dre. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. The market is not biting. You need to ask the market, what do you need from us? Right. And if you are Roger in all of this, because owns the whole shebang, we said this about the main series. We need to say it about the junior series. Inject some goddamn cash into it. Thank you. This is, this, this is what my next point was going to be. We know the money is there. like, and, and I don't like using him as an example, but I'm going to because it highlights part of the problem. You've written two checks for Miles Rowe. One under the table, one over the table. And yeah. I love Miles Rowe as much as the next guy. He's a very, he's, he's a very, very, you know, he's an immense talent. He's going to win USF Pro. And he he's going to win the win. USF Pro, yeah. He probably will win. You'll probably be in next next year. He's an incredibly talented young man. However, it screams of a PR move to write him those two checks to keep his career going when you've already lost half of your mainline series big price to get into the main event in the first place. And it's it when your junior ladder is on. Let's call it what it is. You're, the junior ladder in IndyCar has been on life support for as long as I can remember. Right. When, like when, the, most, was when the one screwed. driver that is being marketed above everybody is 17th in the table, 
Not going to say who it is. Probably know who it is. And oh, yeah, they, pro- and they it just is. got their first top 10 finish. Good for them. But, you know. If that's your biggest they, marketing. It's, it's like Jimmy Johnson in the main series, right? Jimmy Johnson is one of the most incredible NASCAR drivers I've ever watched. He is a marketing wet dream for IndyCar. And he came over and he was the pits. No. The point I was going to get at here is Mm. that you need to find a way to make that graduation price check back up to the $1.2 that it was when Carl Kirkwood won the series a year and a half ago. Because at this current rate, you are going to get... You need to... The reality is they need to compete with Europe. If they're not competing with Europe as a guaranteed seat with a big old check to fund the seat, that's the one incentive you've got over Europe. Guaranteed promotion. That's the one thing you've got over Europe. Remember, this was one of the many points of contention regarding how drivers were getting into IndyCar, or rather how drivers stopped getting into IndyCar from the natural American ladder. That helped blow up American open-wheel racing in the mid-90s. That was one of the key points as to why we had the split. Right. And instead of investing in and building up the junior ladder... The Georges just stuck a 10,000-pound 10, a 10, wad of dynamite up American Wheel Open Racing's ass and lit the fuse. I would rather we go back to in, in Indy next to the days where we only had 10 to 12 full-time runners if it meant the person that won had a better chance of getting into the big show. The tr- I get why they've structured it the way that they have now with more individual race prize money. It keeps the junior teams running from check to check from weekend to weekend. I do understand the logic. The problem is you're going to you're going to end up driving into a brick wall anyway because right now the European imports are doing better than the American graduates have. Carl Kirk would be the exception, and you need to incentivize making your IndyCar team drivers pick from your own ladder. Because the moment they start looking across the pond and start looking up people like Nick DeFries and Tom Blomqvist, you haven't got a prayer. The, yeah, the road to Indy, Yeah, the road to Indy can't compete with that. Uh, and don't get me wrong, like I said, Nolan Siegel is an ace talent. Christian Rasmussen is it a very an good driver. It isn't no. an indictment on the talent in Indy Next. It's yeah. what's going to appeal to a team owner in the main series that is going to help sustain them too. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about Alex Pillow. We got to um, talk about Alex Pillow. Um, you know, you know how you know how crazy it is that Christian Lungard just put the field in a casket across the entire weekend, and it was probably the second most impressive drive out of everybody. <laughs> um, Alex, the championship elect. Looked like he might finally have a chink in his armor after being caught out and starting P15 with a round one qualifying elimination in the wet, dry, wet. But then he came back through the field and despite destroying his nose cone and having a crooked, dragging front wing for just under half the race, he finished second while saving fuel. How? <laughs> oh my god! Look, he I'm, I'm not going to take the heat for for volume no, warnings on no. this podcast. Long Buckley, term. you fucker! <laughs> um, no, I was going to say. But, uh, why are you making my editing more difficult? Time. 
This, no. That is the only. Uh, what the hell was this? Like we, like we, we, me and Cam were watching this race on our Discord server in disbelief at what we were watching. Like I've never whipped out my MacBook to start typing up the race review so fucking fast all year because I was just like, "What in the fuck was that?" Um, for those who don't know the context, there was a restart because Romain Grosjean hit the wall. Man is having a dreadful run of form. That's a discussion for another day. Kyle Kirkwood on that restart bumps into a slow-moving Helio Castroneves. Castroneves spins out. Polo is directly behind Helio. Polo has to take evasive action to avoid Helio's car. He brushes the outside wall and it cracks the front nose cone of Polo's car to the point where it makes the front wing janky and it leans to his right-hand side. It's, it's dragging across the ground, and it got worse as the race went on. There were still nearly 40 laps to go when we went green again. Alex Pelot finished in second, and Colton Herter, who is back in form by all accounts, couldn't, for the last, touch, him. couldn't touch him. Burned more fuel on the same strategy to the point where he ran out over the line, and Pelot still had a little bit in reserve. How? How? It's, it's amazing that the man, we mentioned it earlier, was on the brink because he was the front of the queue of the potential one-stoppers before we got the extra few laps of caution for the Kirkwood incident, which put everybody on the one-stopper because they're like, okay, that's enough, Yellow. Everybody in for a one-stopper. Polo probably wins that race if it wasn't for Kirkwood's spin. Yeah, without the broken front wing, I mean... How much is a front wing that is shattered and dragging on the ground on the right side and up over the tire on the left side worth around a street track? I you mean, reckoned it was about 0.8 of a second, right? I, I would think so. I've, I've talked to a couple of the uh, technical homies. They've done some of the napkin math. It was at least over half a second. And I mean... <laughs> I mean, Lungard and Lungard didn't have to save fuel. He had five more laps of fuel on board. He was saving fuel late on just well because he could. He was not that much faster, given the context. The back end of that race, he was matching Lungard's pace. That shouldn't be possible. I have never seen anything like that in the seven years I've been watching IndyCar. I'm, I said, I said in my in my script notes here, pencil it in. My my drive of the year is locked in. Nothing yeah, that, is. Yeah, nothing's stopping that. Nothing. It's over. Give hey, him the award now. Oh, it, it is wonderful. Uh, I'm I'm putting my hand up here. Uh, can I play devil's advocate and say that? this was less of an impressive performance and more of a race uh, direction failure for not giving him the meatball flag. Probably. You probably have yeah. a point there because that front wing was turbo fucked for the, like for the last 20 laps. I mean, it was being held together by the wrap on the car, spit, Kleenex, and toothpicks. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like, I think this was individually like an incredible drive. Like, you win your championships on your bad days, Alex Pillow had His a terrible day. day. His bad day in the summer is second. He has not finished outside From of the top five since the opening round in St. Pete. Christian Lungard is the first person to gain any points on Alex Pillow since the Indy 500. 
What? <laughs> when's it, when he finished outside the top five at St. Pete, he finished a terrible, no good eighth. Yeah, so, yeah. his, ba- his bad day is an Indy 500 where he got speared in the pit lane and finished fourth. Be- before this day, he'd, f- he'd won four out of the previous five, and somehow this second place was more impressive than all of them. Like, I, I just... This is otherworldly level skill from Alex Polo that he's exhibiting right now. I've been watching IndyCar for seven years. I have never, ever seen anything like this in this series. This I don't is- know if I've ever seen anything like that in any series. The only thing that comes to mind out of recent memory was like, I hate to bring up his name, but Paul Tracy tried this several years ago. He tried driving with a damaged wing. He couldn't see his damaged wing and he eventually crashed out of the race. That was about like 18 years ago, back when there were two Indy cars. Yeah, it's like 19 years ago with Tony Stewart driving around on two wheels and a shattered Crawford Daytona prototype. That's... And the the only thing that stopped that win was additional mechanical failure. That's about equal to this. Yeah, this, this is beyond anything else in this that in the series can produce. Yeah, Zoe, who was actually down there in person, bless her. I've not mentioned her enough on the show. She was actually in Toronto and saw it. Like again, two messages from her that I think some I think sums it up quite well in capital letters. That boy gave me such a heart attack when he hit the wall because <laughs> it was literally thirty feet from her own seat. And the other one was Barry Wonsa was on his radio being like, "Please don't push. Please stop trying to push." <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, because he was riding the bumps and the front wing was bouncing up and down on the bumps. And it was cracking the nose cone across. If that falls off his car... It's over. It, yeah, it goes under his front tires. He goes flying off into the wall. Yeah, yeah he, That's he, what he, happened he, with Paul Tracy. Yeah. It, it's over. <laughs> he was still as fast, if not faster, than Colton Herter, the, arguably the fastest road and street course driver in this series when he's fully dialed in. While saving more fuel on the same strategy. With Will Power, Scott Dixon, and Joseph Newgarden behind him. Uh, Zoe put in our chat, it's like, it's Dixon, It's his version of the Dixon-Portland lap one crash. He's just assimilating all of Dixon's powers like he's the thing. Yeah, it's like, give me all of your power, I'm going to defeat Broly in one punch. That's what Alex Polo is right now. This is insane. Like, as like again, drive of the a- year, driver of the year, driver, because drive of the year, I agree, locked in. Driver of the year should not be this hard this year. No, it I feels agree, like it, it's it should, gonna be. It should just be Matt's Verstappen in a runaway, and it 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 just isn't. It just isn't. It just isn't because Alex Polo is. I mean, his average finish, so far this season, is less than pie. In a series explicitly designed for that not to be possible. His average finish went up with a shattered front wing. 3.1, Cameron. 3.1. What is this? This This is is ridiculous. This is one of the greatest seasons that we'll ever see in IndyCar. This is like... This might be like like looking back to the last person who made the the jump, really, in Juan Pablo Montoya because all the talk with Polo potentially getting a ride, and the other big open wheel series next year. This is like on that level, if not better, 
than what Montoya was producing before Williams picked him up. It's nuts. All he's missing is the 500 win, and it's like a one-for-one one of Montoya's resume. And it very well could have happened this year had he not been impaled in the pit lane. I mean, you look at Pelot's last three 500s. This year, he was robbed by Rena's VK launching into him in the pits. The year before that, he was screwed on an emergency caution, an emergency service. The year before that, he lost by four car lengths. He's been yeah. the best 500 driver for the last three years as well. He just hasn't won the damn thing. <laughs> he's just been arguably the fastest uh -oh. man overall oh, for the three guy years he lost running. To. And the guy he lost to in that time where he lost by a couple car lengths, Elio Castroneves. The greatest arguably, 500 racer of all time. <laughs> yes. Not bad company to lose to. No. It's just... And it's the fact that it just... There is no end to it. You think... He puts in a performance and you think, okay, this is as good as it can get. And then he goes out next week. And in defeat, he's been more impressive than any of his wins thus far. There's only one even small feather to the cap. He hasn't won an oval yet. And he's got two chances to do so this weekend in Iowa. Make a bunch of money doing that. And yeah, yeah it's, worth, it's worth mentioning if he does win one of those, because he's got three chances because he still have gateway later on in the year. But if he wins just one of those three ovals, he'll be collecting a cool half a million dollar bonus check for the triple crown that Joseph Newgarden won last year. Remember, half of it does go to charity. But Polo picks up an extra $500,000 for his trouble um, if he could pull off the triple crown. He's got three cracks in it. He's got three chances. At it, and I think he's the only man in the field that's even won two out of three this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and I mean, in those oval performances, I mean, he finished... He finished top five in Texas on dead tires. Yep. And then was the fastest guy in the 500 and aforementioned Renus VK Spearing. It's not like his oval form has been bad this year. He is no. absolutely capable. He was right there in Texas as well. He was, he was what, third yeah. that day? Behind, and he was third on... Third off, on dead tires. Third, third off sequence behind Pato Award and Joseph Newgarden, the two best oval drivers in this series. On current form. Yeah. New Gons won every like every one of the last six ovals bar bar one, and that was Iowa race two, which he was leading for over half of that race until his rear suspension failed. <laughs> like Polo does not have a weakness at this point; <laughs> he is perfect. <laughs> like he's he's making Scott Dixon look silly out there. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. This is the house that Dixon built, and Polo is just like, actually, it's mine now. You pay rent in it. <laughs> RJ, this kid from Super Formula, pretty good. Yeah, and I can and I can apply that to uh, to the hiring process at a certain team if I ends up for next season. You got you got to go out there and find these dudes. Um, last bit of news: uh, this one came through the wire from Tony oh, no. Donahue that uh, IndyCar is debating. There, there, there are in advanced talks to move its season finale and awards banquet to Nashville with the Music City Grand Prix as soon as next year, per people familiar. This is from the tweet shared by Sports Business Journal's Adam Stern, uh, who is also reported on the story. Um, so I do want to preface that the Music City Grand Prix is going to have a layout change because if you don't know, Nashville is building a new NFL stadium to replace Nissan Stadium, which is Less, which is less than 25 years old at this point in time. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the debate of replacing stadiums with new stadiums, that's for another podcast. Um, 
I don't know welcome, how I feel. About welcome this. to football 101. Oh um, yeah. Please, I, please, God, no. Not in its current no. iteration. The only reason no. why you would move it to Nashville in its current state is because we want to have our finale in a destination city. And I think it's partly because Laguna Seca doesn't draw fans. Mm. I think there was less than ten thousand at the finale last year. Mm. It's not. A, it's not. It's not. A, it's not an, a, an attendance-heavy finale round. It just doesn't. It just. It just isn't. Which is a shame because it's a love, wonderful, wonderful track. It's in Northern California. It's. It's got everything you would need. Okay, maybe you don't have the most exciting wheel-to-wheel racing there, but generally speaking, it's a traditional IndyCar venue, and people love that shit. Look, it's exciting uh, when Grosjean and Johnson are there. Yeah, no kidding. Spear! Um, anyway, and a spear by reins. No, I'm joking. Um, the way I see it, I get it. I get why. I mean, Nashville is a new round. It's in a it's in a great location for a race. I know it's a draw to the local I mean, community. Yeah, it's a little bit sports washy with the way things are under Governor Bill Lee, but it is a cool yeah, scene. yeah. You know, everybody sports watches these days. You know, we just like to judge the brown ones more. But um, that's that's how I that's how I look at it anyway. You I mean, it, I mean. <laughs> uh, the way I see it. Nashville is a popular like tourist spot, and you know it's it's a it's a it draws a bigger crowd than most IndyCar rounds do. I still say you, you make Long Beach a finale that actually draws huge attendances, and the racing okay, it's not wonderful at Long Beach either. But then again, neither is Laguna Seca's, and like they had seventy five thousand at Long Beach this year. Like we had when we had Ruby Acosta on as a guest, she adequately described it. Well, the place was rocking. Maybe it wouldn't be the same if it was in September, but even still, like I don't understand. Like Nashville is not a popular round for fans who watch the sports on TV because we've had seventeen cautions in the two years we've gone there. <laughs> like it's just well, not. Really I was gonna, a complete I was gonna, shit show. Yeah, I was gonna say they need a layout change. They they need to at least get that in the camp first. They're not going to have a choice to either way, but still. I 100% agree with that. Um, I think you absolutely need a layout change if you're even going to consider that. Um, I just think there's, I just think there's better candidates for a, an IndyCar season finale. I still would like this to see the season finish at an oval. Personally, um, I would like to see that be be the way to end out a year. But again, the oval scene is fading in IndyCar by the yeah, looks yeah. of it. Wasn't there this, uh, wasn't there this two mile super speedway in Southern California around Los Angeles, which of course is a big city. That's yeah. a great racing, year, racing years. Whatever happened to Auto Club Speedway? Uh, they blew it up. Um, well, they're they're trying to. And, and Zoe in the background was like, "Bring back Homestead." Yeah, uh, that's what I was thinking too. Like, Homestead Miami is not a recklessly dangerous super speedway oval to have an IndyCar race. And it's in Miami. Yes, again, you have the sports watching problem, but you're in a major city at a track that last time we went there, the racing was pretty good. Mm. 100%. 100%. Um, yeah, not for me, Chief, is the short answer to that one. Um you know, I, I like Laguna Seca. If you if you're that concerned about about crowd turnout, why not just move Long Beach? Just move Long Beach to the finale. I think that works just fine. Uh, it's it's an iconic staple round, big turnout, cheap tickets, good vibes. 
and you'll get 50,000 Pado fans there for the finale. And you've literally, this was literally the, the finale two years ago. So why not, right? Like, that's how Polo won his first title. It was at Long Beach. So why not? Um, I think you had a good idea going on with that, personally. But uh, that's just me. Right. IndyCar is done uh, for this episode. We'll be back next week for another IndyCar race. Well, two, actually, because we're going to be doing the double header at Iowa. Who likes corn? Who who, who wants some corn? Um, corn. <laughs> praise be to the corn. Praise be. Glory to the corn. And uh, I hope you sleep comfortably with the dulcet tones of Joseph Newgarden screaming, Simon! Um, like that one Please. time on YouTube. Please get well soon, Simon. Please get not, well this soon, This is not Simon, the race where you, you want to come back in these no. conditions in a stretch. But, you know, hoping is hoping for the best there. Connor Daly is going to fill in. Connor Daly will be fine for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, hey, if you're down there, you get an Ed Sheeran concert chucked in for free. Who doesn't want a bit of Ed Sheeran in their lives? Uh, don't know <laughs> Russian at once. Me, me. I don't know. I don't know, Chief. That 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 feels like a negative wins above replacement transaction here. <laughs> Especially when the tickets were like 300 bucks each as a result. I'll, um, take, I'll take the fax machine. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, IndyCar is back uh, next weekend for the doubleheader in Iowa. We'll be reviewing all of that action we'll also be talking about formula one because they have the hungarian grand prix this weekend as well will red bull make history with its 12th potential win in a row the all-time f1 record awaits well uh dre you'll be happy to know that they are bringing an extensive upgrade for about two-thirds of their car fuck um <laughs> great why? have fun with that because fuck them that's why Exactly. The Sickos Committee will be back in blue, purple, and yellow before you know. And hey, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some honey badger coming back. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that on next week's show as well. So, yeah, it'll be a fun time. So, there'll be two more episodes next week. Have fun with that. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. And until next time, make, make your week as straight and narrow as Alex Polo's front wing. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Mentally, I am here. Sees the nose cone cracking across.